Jonah chapter 3 is where we find ourselves today. And if you haven't been with us for a while, um, we're right there in the middle of the book. Jonah chapter 3. Hey, wouldn't it be great if you could get a second chance card that you could redeem for any like broken relationship, something that you've done that was really, you know, you, you wish you could take back? or something that was there that you just were struggling with in your past, wouldn't it be great to be able to redeem that and get a, a second chance? Sound like a little too good to be true? This series, this message is really centrally about that great truth about our God, that he loves to give second chances and it's really this wonderful book, the book of Jonah, if you've never studied it or thought about it or thought more than, you know, something about a whale or whatever like that. It's actually a, a, some really deep, refreshing, great truths in this book, the book of Jonah. Now, before we dive in, there are some, some dangerous grounds sometimes that we tread in the church. We can use certain phrases that become, um, although they started off with great truth, they become cliche. They lose their punch and their meaning. We don't, we say it, but because we've said it so many times or thought about it so many times, it it doesn't really ring with the same power. Like, Jesus loves you. What a great truth is that? That was fantastic, and yet we've heard it so often from many of us that it doesn't have that same punch. Or I'll pray for you. I say that, but think about what the beauty of that, that actually God in heaven would listen and respond when I speak to him, and, and that would move him to, to take action. Or this amazing grace. It's, it's something, according to the scripture, that should take our breath away. It should be jaw-dropping, eye-popping truth. You know, it's, wow, grace really is stunning. Yet I've, I've heard it so often that it becomes blasé to me. I, I don't really have it, like, thumping my heart. But the message of Jonah is centrally about that. I, I mentioned that it's not really about a story about a big fish, in the first week, or a story really at its heart about a reluctant prophet who hates people from Nineveh. But the bigger story is that it's about God's calling. How good is that, that God would call? And it's about his plan to rescue all kinds of people, whether they be sailors from Joppa, or this guy, Jonah, who keeps getting it wrong, or these people from Nineveh who are violent and bloodthirsty, vicious. And that it's about God's sovereignty, that he is in control, and his kindness, his mercies that are irresistible. And it's about God's great patience for us. Isn't that good that God is patient? Some of us, were celebrating Father's Day. Dads, just wish we had a little bit more of that, Right? There's a little bit more patience when something flies off and we get upset and we don't act so patient. But yet, great truth is our Heavenly Father is patient with us. And that's the, the essence of this story. It's a story about God's 
amazing grace to all kinds of people. And this book, of course, is revealing. It reveals how God gives us call, and often we don't like to hear it. Or it's a call to something we don't want to participate in, like Jonah, and we try to run the other way. And yet in chapter 2, we discovered that God said, okay, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm going to grab you and take you where you need to go. And and then Jonah chapter 3, in just a second, we're going to hear that God gives him a second chance at following his calling. It's also not just about smelly prayers. We heard about that last week, that God would hear us from wherever we are, whatever we're doing. He would take those words that we offer up to him and respond to us just as a token of his grace. See, this, this book is first and foremost a story about our God and his greatness to save and the measure of his forgiveness. We talked about that the first week and, and it rings really true this morning. Read with me, starting in Jonah 3, verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter which is not, you know, like some chapters in the Bible. It's pretty short. This is the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. It's chapter 1, rewritten, right? One more time, though, I'm going to give you a second chance at bringing a message to Nineveh. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So it's a story, true story, of this second chance. We left Jonah last week in kind of a pool of stuff, fish stuff. I don't have to go into detail about that. But God had grabbed him and, and taken him from the place where he was running from him and said, no, you need to go this direction. But he's still got about 500 miles to go. He's still got to travel all the way to Nineveh from the beach that he found himself on. And as he goes, I'm sure that he's ruminating. He's thinking about a lot of things. He's, he's 
listening, he's heard again that God gave him a second chance to give this message. And though he still hates the people in Nineveh, he still does not like them. And still in his heart does not want them to turn back to God. He wants God's judgment to fall on them. He's, you know, resentfully obeying God, doing kind of the minimum of what God has asked him to do. He's traveling to Nineveh. And as he goes, he's thinking about things. He's got to be. He's thinking about what happened in chapter 1. God speaking to him. How good is that that God calls us? By the way, just parentheses here. Still does it. God has called actually every single person that's in this room right now. For those of you who have responded to the call of God and are following Jesus, he does this actively in our life. He speaks to us, moving us his direction. He calls us. The bigger question is, are we listening and responding, right? Are we doing what he's calling us to do? And if you find yourself here this morning, not sure how you found yourself here, but you're here maybe to please your dad or whatever it might be, he has actually called you out of his grace and mercy to follow him. He offers you his compassion. He's called you. That's the truth of what God's word says to us. Good, refreshing truth, isn't it? So God calls Jonah one more time. And Jonah's thinking about, he's got to be thinking about the call on his way. He's got 500 miles. It's not a you know, fast train or anything. He's going on. He's, he's taking his time to get to Nineveh. And he's got to be thinking about his days in a fish where he thought he was dead. And he's murmuring out and calling out to God. And his heart is you know, trying to respond and wrestle with the call of God. And he's thinking about a lot of things. He's thinking about the nature of God that he doesn't like. A part of God that I know there's probably for you, but not for you, but for me, there's parts of God that I wrestle with. And the part that, that Jonah was really wrestling with is that God would love a people that he didn't like. He would have great compassion on these people, these Assyrians in Nineveh that were bloodthirsty and brutal and have, had done all kinds of crimes against humanity, and he, he hated them. And he's He's wrestling with the compassion of God, how large God's mercy is. It's great. God's mercy is great when it's given to us. But when it's given to people we don't like, yeah, that's what Jonah was wrestling with. He's, he's really wrestling, struggling with that. And he's, he gets there finally to Nineveh. And it's a giant city. And the text tells us that once he gets there, he gets about a third of the way in the city. And he speaks five words. In the Hebrew, there are only five words that we see in the text that he speaks out. Uh, translated, it says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the whole message. And he probably just gave the minimum amount, right? The great thing about this is, it's not the skill of Jonah that does what happens to the people of Nineveh. And it's not his articulate message that's going to draw people in. And this is so good, right? Because I know some of you have been really, like, we've been mentioning, mentioning our mission all year long. I'm talking about, hey, pray for five people. That those people would come to faith in Jesus and then invite them in some place that they would be, you know, they would hear the word of God and they would be able to respond. And, 
and make sure you engage people in spiritual conversation. You're like, yeah, I've been doing all those things, but I'm so frustrated because none of my friends are responding to the gospel. Can I just tell you something liberating? That's God's work, not yours. When people come to faith in Jesus, that's because Jesus did the work, not you. It's his power that moves people from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness. From a place of separation and struggle to health and wholeness and connectedness to God. It's not you. We're just called to be faithful to our friends and to our neighbors, to pray for them and to speak out when given opportunity. God is the one that changes the heart. And that's, that's helpful to me. So if you're in that place where you feel like giving up, do not give up on the tasks that you have. God has given you a calling. Be faithful to that. But the work of transformation is God's. In the text, there are three key words that I want to highlight And one of them is found in that message. So Jonah goes to the city and he speaks out five words. The last of those words in the English translation is that word overthrown. And it's a really interesting word and word that God is about. It's the word in the Hebrew, hapek. And it means transformation of deliverance. Interesting. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he's, you know, the one consolation that he has is that he can speak a message of judgment. And he thinks probably that if he speaks it out, all manner of bad things could happen. He could be thrown into prison. He could be flayed for sin. He doesn't know, but at least he gets the one consolation of speaking out this message of judgment to these people he doesn't like, and he speaks it out. But what God had in mind was a different kind of overthrow. He was thinking Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to come down and blast these people. God was thinking a different kind of transformation overthrow. It was an overthrow of the heart. Now, in Scripture, there is another example of this kind of overthrow in 1 Samuel chapter 10, where Samuel is giving a word to the first king of Israel, Saul. And Saul, if you know a bit about his history, really struggled. But at the very beginning of his reign, God, through Samuel, was telling Saul, I'm going to overthrow your heart and prepare you for a place of leadership. I'm going to make a change in your heart. And he did that. And then Saul, the rest of his days, would struggle with that overthrow, with what God wanted, with his intent And he kicked against it, he struggled against it, and all his kicking and struggling against the work of God in his life resulted in bad things, bad consequences, leadership failures, because he struggled against the call of God and the work of God's spirit in his life. And yet, God was about the overthrow of the heart. And that's what happens right here in the text of of Jonah, Hapek. God's intentional work of deliverance as he transforms us. And what happens? Jonah speaks out this five-word message, very short, and he's thinking judgment, and God's thinking transformation. And the scripture says, and the people of Nineveh believed 
God. They trusted him. And they called for fast and put on sackcloth to humble themselves before God, to concentrate on God's work in their life, to think about the things that really mattered the most. It's said that in Jonah, the great work, the great miracle of God was not the fish thing. And it wasn't anything that happens about the tree in Jonah 4. It's right here. That this reluctant prophet who hated these people would walk into this town of people who were way away from God, who were violent, vicious people, had no relationship with God. They were going their own way. This guy walks into the city, speaks five words, and the entire city, boom, comes to faith, turns back to God in repentance. They hear the word, and, and they're, they're following. They're humbling themselves and seeking that second key word, repentance. Seeking to turn their heart away from evil and to the Lord in humility. They're seeking repentance. It's, it's the big work that happens, the big miracle that happens that this, this city would turn to God. The Israelites, uh, their greatest day, most holy day, most sacred day is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where they intentionally take a day away to fast and to turn their hearts toward confession and repentance. And in that day, they read the book of Jonah because it reminds them of the power of repentance and what they're to do, to turn their heart away from evil and to humbly turn from God and that a people, even the Ninevites, would lead as an example of a people who would turn their heart back to God. They would come in confession and humility to God. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew chapter 12. And in that conversation that Jesus is having, they're, they're asking for one more sign. Could you just really demonstrate that you're alive, that you're God? Could you demonstrate that you really are who you say you are? I mean, we want one more of those scenes with the the fish and the loaves. We'd like to see one more raising from the dead. We'd like to see one more real powerful truth. And Jesus knows that that's one more act. A miracle is not going to turn their heart because their heart is hard. And he said, I'll sh- the, sign that the, the sign that I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. He's saying that the, what you really need is not a, another big miracle work. What you really need is the work of repentance in your life that you would turn around, you would stop. Repentance, you see, it humbles us. And that's what happened here in Jonah 3. These people far from God all of a sudden, however it happened, by the power of God, they humbled themselves. That's what you see when it's talking about fasting and sackcloth and ashes. They were physically demonstrating the interior work that was going on. They would not be so pick and full of themselves and so prideful that they would turn to God in repentance. And repentance, it makes our hearts hurt. It, it gets to the core of our pride and selfishness. 
And here in a text, starting with the lowest, these people that heard the message, the greatest people in the city, and finally the king himself, they come to this place of true repentance. Their heart hurt. Part of the word itself that connects repentance to what happens afterwards is the compound word. It's a compound word. First part of it is Nahum, which if you know the story of the Old Testament is scene two, or it's the sequel to the book of Jonah. Right? And it means the grief of a person who turns to God. That actually your heart is pierced by the things that you have done wrong against God. It's part of the act of repentance that you, you really acknowledge your brokenness before God. And that is exactly what happens here. And repentance, as I've often said, you're walking this direction. It stops you in your tracks and turns you the opposite direction to listen and follow God. Jonah was headed to Tarshish, the opposite direction where he was supposed to go. God stopped him in his tracks and made him go the other way. That's repentance. And it leaves the old stuff behind, the garbage, the junk. And that's what these Ninevites were doing. It's amazing that this happened, that these people who were so far from God would stop and would do what every person is called to do, to leave their old behind and They actually identify, the king identifies their sin. Did you see it there? As he gives his command to leave their violence behind. That was their big sin. To leave that behind, the violence of their hands, and to change. Because repentance isn't just about feeling sorry. It is about moving away from my sinfulness toward righteousness. It's an activity as well. And that's what the king called for. In an interesting way, did you notice that he actually calls the beasts and the herds to put on sackcloth and fast. That's odd, isn't it? <laughs> it seems strange. He's, he's actually going like way over the top, like everybody and everything, all of our entire city, we've got to follow God. We've got to repent and leave. Even your pets, everything you've got, your livestock, let's all do this together. It's kind of a crazy thing when, he's, when you see it. But the king is so intent. He's so moved. He, he takes on his vestiges of authority. He lays them aside. And this guy, who's the greatest ruler of the age, when he hears the message, of re, the call to repentance, he, he humbles himself and comes himself, and, and the city comes to God. Now, we'll learn later in history that that city, a generation later, would return to their old ways. We're not sure how actually how long it took, but but they did. The point of this message is that they came that day after hearing just these words, the simple message, by the power of God, the city comes to to faith in God, and they turn around, and, and they come to repentance. They leave that old stuff behind. Paul talks about repentance in his message to the Corinthian church, his second letter to the Corinthians church, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, says this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
If I'm just sorry for my sin and do nothing about it, then I'm still separated from God. If I just have some regrets and feel bad about what I've done, sometimes uh, for those of you who are dads, you know what I'm talking about. Your, your kids, they get caught doing something wrong. Well, at least my kids do sometimes. I know your kids probably never do anything wrong. but And then they realize. Um, they feel sorry because they've been caught. Not because of what they've done, but they've been sorry for what they caught, and they realize that the judgment of dad is about to follow. Right? That's, that's why they're really sorry. They're not truly repentant. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the worldly. That's not connected to God. That's just grief about getting caught. But godly grief, that is sorrow before God for what I've done and the commitment to turn in repentance and walk the other direction. That godly grief leads to repentance and that is salvation. That's where salvation is found. Big difference, isn't it? And that's what God calls us to and was calling these people of Nineveh to. So the second, that key word is repentance. And the third key word is where these people were led to. They were led in their humility, not to trust in themselves anymore, but to throw themselves on the compassion of God, which is really fascinating when you think about these people. Because when they thought of compassion, they thought of weakness. The Assyrians were known to show no mercy, no compassion. And then they're brought to a place where they have to seek the compassion of God and his mercy in their life. And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, the king says, if we do this and we turn to God, maybe he'll show mercy. The king had yet to fully appreciate and know that at the heart of God's nature is this compassion, that he is a merciful God, a God of second chances, that he delights in giving us second chances. Our Lord, and he's, he's a God of amazing grace, isn't he? Stunning, breathtaking grace where these unsuspecting mariners and this reluctant prophet in a fish and these people who were wicked would receive the compassion and mercy and grace of God where you would be invited to enjoy and appreciate the grace of God regardless of what you've done in the past. He's a God of second chances and amazing grace. Isn't that good news? Hello. <laughs> Isn't that good news? And our Lord, he's just so great at these second chances. He's so great at it. Second Peter 3.9. Let me just read this text. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient with, toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He has this fantastic plan that's not your plan. It certainly wasn't Jonah's plan to be patient. I love when God's patient with me. But the people I don't like, I wish he wouldn't be so patient with. And that's Jonah's story, right? 
He, he didn't want God to be patient with the people of Nineveh. But this is core to God, who God is. He is patient. And why is he patient? So that you would come to repentance. So that you would come to a place where you would turn and humble yourself before God and follow him, turn toward him, and follow him in repentance. That's why he's patient. That's why he's still waiting and hasn't come for you. He's patient. This day, wouldn't it be a a great gift to give to him? I don't know what you've planned to give your dads in your life. Perhaps you're just given a card. That's good if you've expressed your sentiments. Man, I'm, I'm just so grateful. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll target some character that we really appreciate about our dad, and we'll, we'll write about that. Wouldn't it be a great gift to give to your heavenly Father to do the one thing you've been waiting for, to come in repentance toward him? Honest, genuine turning toward him. Here's what I know today. I can't make that happen. Love to because that leads to your salvation, leads to your rescue and health and wholeness, but it's so much the work of God. It's his work. This is where God wants you to go, where he wants you to head, his calling for you. Here's a great thing, that, that his grace, it can save anyone. His grace, that, it can save these mariners in this boat from Joppa. It can save Jonah, chapter 2. It can save people from Nineveh. Entire cities he can save and rescue. The Great Commission found in Luke 24, not the one you might be more familiar with, it's at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, but Luke describes it this way in Luke 24, starting in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, that is the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. That's your mission, should you choose to accept it. Right? Your mission is to be the witness to every nation, every people, because God loves all people, even people who are Assyrians, even people you might hate. God loves them. It's, it's core to his nature. It's who he is. He can't help himself. He loves people and is calling all people to himself. Great truth. And finally, this kind of repentance, it spurs something in God, and that's this compassion, this nature of God to pour out his mercies toward people. Now, the last part of the book of Jonah has been misconstrued by some. That God would relent, they think, means that he would change his mind. And so God must be fickle. He must change his mind all the time. Maybe he's even growing, still developing. And that that train of thought has gone to some crazy places theologically. The truth of scripture is that God does not change. 
Just like back then, he's still a God of second chances, still a God of compassion and mercy, still a God calling people to repentance and the transformation of deliverance. That's still who God is. He always remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. That's his nature. It always has been a God of mercy, a father who shows compassion. And here, he does not change his mind, but he pours out compassion. It's part of the root of the meaning of that word when you, when you read what happens in the end of it, of this chapter. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster. He poured out his compassion to people, although they didn't deserve it. Um, to be able to get at this rich, deep theological truth, I, I want to bring some, uh, a video that would illustrate this richness of theology from some of those great theologians that many of us have appreciated, the VeggieTales. Yeah, it's hard to beat the Veggie Tales. Now, actually, um, they missed the point a, a little bit. So here's the central point of Jonah. Central point is that God is a God of compassion, that, that he loves to pour out compassion on people. Now, where that connects to the message of the Veggie Tales is that if you're a follower of Jesus, having already received that compassion, you're called to respond, to act like your father in the lives of people, to be a person of compassion, to pour out actively God's mercies so people might see how good God is and what God's like. That's who he's called us to be, to pursue that kind of life on people and with people. And that's central to who he is, and this great message of Jonah 3 proclaims his compassion. So what if you had a second chance card, a second chance with God? God would call you back to repentance and pour out his compassion. What if you are living with a divided relationship with someone else, with another person? What would it look like to live like Jesus and give that person a second chance to, to imitate your father who has loved you and whom we celebrate today and and pour out compassion on them just like your Father has poured it out to you. Let me pray for you, if I might, please. Lord, thank you for this uh, great passage, 
great truth that you are a God who, who loves all people and pursued these people in Nineveh. And just with this simple message, transformed hearts, changed people that they might follow you and led them to a place of repentance, coming humbly to you. And I pray you'd lead people here that same direction, Lord. There are people here who've come separated from you. Speak out to them in their hearts to draw them to you. And Father, for the rest of us who follow you, who seek to follow you, let us respond to your calling faithfully. And let us imitate our Father, the God of all compassion, Scripture says, so that people might understand the mercies of God. Do this work, Lord, through your power and your strength. And all God's people said, amen.